This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state Senate takes up a controversial bill forcing minors to get permission from their parents to get an abortion. The House is also meeting today. They'll be passing a bill that says your genetic information is off limits to insurance companies. Florida's Agriculture Commissioner is fuming over a bill that would move the state energy office from her agency to one controlled by the governor. Nikki Freed calls it a partisan power grab. In the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, Florida's chief financial officer says it's time to change the culture in Tallahassee and put consumers over the insurance industry. Good luck with that, Mr. Patronus. A House subcommittee approves two new gun bills. One makes it easier to bring concealed weapons to church. The other allows local elected officials to be armed during official meetings where guns are prohibited for everyone else. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and our tribute to Florida Man, including a guy who stole to pay for his ankle monitor and the woman who used her minivan to drive her teenage son to a robbery. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, January 29th. The Florida Senate holds a floor session at 4 this afternoon where they will take up one of the most controversial bills of the 2020 session. SB 404 by Senator Kelly Stargill is the third bill on special order. It would force minors to get consent from at least one parent if they want an abortion. Many of the supporters are people of faith who believe it's a moral imperative to do whatever they can to stop abortion. But Kate Lanneman with the Interfaith Coalition for Reproductive Health and Justice says the anti-abortion advocates do not have a monopoly on faith. We are here to let our legislators know that people of faith absolutely support access to full reproductive health care services, including abortion care. Yeah. We need safe, legal abortion for everybody. And specifically, we are here to tell our lawmakers that people of faith vehemently oppose Senate Bill 404, the forced parental consent. No one of any age should be forced to bear a child against their will. State Representative Anna Eskimani says she's had it with faith leaders who want to use the government to impose their beliefs on other people and on lawmakers who use religion as a ploy in the abortion wars. There tends to be a rhetoric, mostly elevated by our opposition, that making personal medical decisions, talking about birth control, contraception, uh, making the decision to end the pregnancy is one not done with counsel of a faith leader or with reflection of one's God. And that's just not the case. Stress to our colleagues, many who often use religion uh, as a pawn in this issue, that this transcends the rhetoric that has unfortunately made this issue sensational. And it's very much grounded in personal medical decisions, knowing that for many who make this personal decision, their God is right next to them in that process. The Reverend David Judge of Altamont Springs says no one, especially men, should be imposing their beliefs on anyone else. The faith perspective on abortion is not universal and that it is great disagreement and great conversation and dialogue about what is moral and right. However, as a Presbyterian and a Reformed uh, educated theologian, it is also an issue that we need to continue to discuss, but also recognize it's not an opinion we should force on other people. Women should have access to health care, health reproductive rights, health reproductive justice. They should have access, and the church should not stand in the way of that, and nor should the uh, government bring upon people a religious perspective that they cannot agree with. Uh, we have a freedom from religion and a freedom of religion in this country and as people of faith we need to stand up for the rights of those who are oppressed and as a white male privilege over the history and generations we have imposed our will on women and I am ashamed of that. 
and we need to reconsider how we write our laws and be more mindful of the female perspective, which may do a much better job than our uh, historical male patriarchs of the past. But the patriarchy is alive and well in the Florida legislature. The Senate takes up the parental consent bill today. The votes are there to pass the bill next week. The Criminal Justice Subcommittee in the Florida House approves two new gun bills. State law already allows people to carry concealed weapons at religious institutions, but at the same time, it prohibits guns on school properties. That means people cannot carry guns to churches or synagogues that also serve as schools. Representative J.R. Williamson of Pace says his bill would change that. This would allow um, a religious institution to authorize a person or persons with a concealed carry license to carry a firearm on property owned, rented, leased or used by the church, synagogue, or religious institution. Right now, if a church was located on the same property as, say, a preschool, um, and that preschool met from Monday through Friday, people at that church would not be allowed to carry concealed on Sunday and Wednesday night during those services, and this bill would change that, and that's the bill. The subcommittee also approved a bill by Representative Mel Ponder of Destin, allowing local elected officials to carry concealed weapons during official meetings. In several states across the country, including Florida, gunmen have attacked public meetings and have elected officials who sit unable to defend themselves. In order to protect themselves and the innocent public attending uh, such meetings, this bill would allow elected county commissioners, school board members, and city council members who are duly licensed to carry concealed weapons during meetings of governing bodies similar to the exception granted to judges in their courtroom. Generally, a person with a concealed weapons license can carry a concealed firearm anywhere in Florida except for a list of specified locations. Includes schools, prisons, courthouses, and meetings of a county commission, school board, municipality, or special district. This bill changes current law to allow a member of county commission, school board, city commission, or special district to carry a concealed firearm to a meeting. You might wonder why Ponder is so concerned about arming county commissioners. Well, it just might have something to do with his plans to leave the legislature and run for a seat on the Okaloosa County Commission this year. As a former resident of Okaloosa County, let's just say he probably has some valid concerns. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Patronis used to have a reputation of being a friend to the insurance industry that his office regulates. But things have apparently changed a bit since Hurricane Michael shredded his hometown in the Florida panhandle. Patronis is asking lawmakers to approve a new law that puts consumers first. Today we're announcing the Consumer Protection Act. It's been one year, just over a year, since Hurricane Michael made landfall. And we've heard some of the most heart-wrenching stories that people have dealt with since this massive Category 5 hurricane destroyed Northwest Florida. We can't go a day without hearing a story, an issue, or somebody asking us for help. My team hears from, from members of our community how they desperately need to navigate the claims process and are overwhelmed by a number of factors. The legislation makes the claims process more seamless, transparent, and ensuring that our consumers and our customers are getting what they deserve. As we listen to each resident, we're putting forward law changes to speed up the insurance claims process. And let me be clear, there is not a silver bullet that is going to fix this. But we're going to continue to work towards making the problems that have plagued our consumers go away. It's been more than a year since the hurricane trashed her home, and Sandra Davis has been through more than a dozen insurance adjusters. After Hurricane Michael, my house was just torn to pieces. It was very difficult. We have grandchildren living with us, we have children living with us, and then we had to find a place for everyone to stay. When I called the local insurance company where I paid my insurance money every month, I was told, call the main company. So I had to find the number, call the main company. 
Each time I called, I got someone different. I wrote down all the information every time I spoke with someone. When I would call at the end of all of this, I went back and counted 15 adjusters. That's just not acceptable, not at all. 15 months later, I do not have a ceiling. I only have one room that's completely finished and then you have to deal with mortgage companies. After her husband passed away, Melaine Hardwick bought a retirement home in Mexico Beach and maxed out her insurance to protect that investment. After it was destroyed, her insurance company refused to pay. Shortly after I finished the renovations, Hurricane Michael hit and I lost my home. I lost everything. It was all gone. All I have left is a slab. There's nothing left. I was devastated. But I felt sure I had insurance coverage, I would be okay. So I immediately called my wind company, Homeowner's Choice, and filed a claim. I wanted to be proactive, so I followed up with them. Every week, every Monday, I had it on my calendar, I would call them. Many times if I left a message, they didn't return my call. They didn't return my emails. So you can imagine my shock when one day I called again and I was told I was denied my claim was denied because there was no wind damage I asked them what proof they had they said they took photographs and they said they had an engineer's report I asked for a copy to this day they've never provided me with the photos or the engineer's report it was wrong so I called my flood company and I was told that my house was, the damage was caused by both flood and wind. They did pay me about one third of what my home was worth, but here we are 14 months after the storm, I still don't have enough money to rebuild my home. All I have to this day is a concrete slab. Petrona says the root of the problem is that Florida's regulatory system puts consumers at the bottom of the priority list, when they should be at the top. Insurance companies need to be held accountable. This is a first step forward to changing the culture that favors insurance companies, public adjusters, contractors, and attorneys over Floridians. The Consumer Protection Act will get rid of fees, help better protect the identity of our citizens, and eliminate deceptive practices. These changes these changes are just common sense. Unfortunately, it takes a lot more than common sense to pass a bill in the state legislature. And frankly, the insurance industry likes things just the way they are. Next up, you'll hear from Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who is calling shenanigans over a new bill that takes the state energy office away from her agency and gives it to the governor. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. Apply today to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by February 21st. Visit cflpli.org. That's cflpli.org.
There's a battle brewing in the legislature over the state energy office, which is housed in the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Republicans were okay with that when the agriculture commissioner was one of them, but they were stunned when Democrat Nikki Freed was elected. She actually took the energy office seriously, coming up with a new state energy plan, hosting the state's first climate change conference. So Governor Ron DeSantis and GOP leaders in the legislature have come up with the idea of transferring the entire energy office to the Department of Environmental Protection, which is under the governor's control. Commissioner Freed is pissed, and she vented some of that anger during a press conference in the Capitol. This bill puts party before state and puts the governor before Floridians. This is part of the governor's plan to consolidate power. We've seen it with his bill last week to strip oversight of state agencies from the independently elected Florida cabinet. We're seeing it now with this bill. Ask yourselves why. When I've asked lawmakers to make the state's first real investment in energy in a decade, why would we move the Office of Energy? Why, when the Department of Environmental Protection made critical mistakes the last time they managed the Office of Energy, leaving a mess of 10,000 unprocessed solar energy rebates that our department had to clean up, why would we move it there? Why, while DEP is permitting fossil fuel drilling in the Everglades, and the Apalachicola River Basin, why is that where Florida's energy office belongs? We know why. The answer isn't based in policy on gov or government efficiency. It's partisan punishment and another power grab. We know that for a decade, Republicans have had no problem with this office being where it is, as long as it was run by a Republican. But now that a Democrat sits in this office, the first woman ever elected to this office, it suddenly needs to be moved. The truth is the Office of Energy belongs at FDAX because we're not just the Department of Agriculture, but also of Consumer Services. We fight every single day for consumers in a way the Department of Environmental Protection or the Governor's Office frankly cannot do. We ensure that energy is properly priced, we ensure its quality, and we assure its sale for accuracy. I wish I wasn't standing here right now having to call this out. I'm disappointed. I thought our state's leadership was better than this, but this is politics as usual, and this is why people hate politics. Bills like these subvert the will of the people. It silences those who voted for action on energy and climate change. And it's because a Democratic woman had the audacity to win this office. We have a plan for energy. It's 76 pages and took eight months to develop. And it's sitting right here at this table. Right next to our first year's accomplishments on energy, right next to our energy legislation, right next to the highlights of our energy summit. The governor doesn't have an energy plan doesn't have accomplishments on energy or climate change, refuses to talk about these issues, don't have energy legislation, hasn't held an energy summit. But now, suddenly, he wants the Office of Energy. So ask yourselves why. Why does he want this? Freed and her allies in the legislature are vowing to fight the move, but Republicans have the numbers to do whatever they want, and they do not want a Democrat taking the lead on climate change in Florida when Republicans have spent the past 20 years ignoring the problem.
Your calendar of events begins with the Senate Criminal and Civil Justice Appropriations Subcommittee at 9 o'clock. They're taking up a bill by Chairman Jeff Brandis that creates a program to help clear the way for releasing inmates who are at least 70 years old. The Senate Transportation, Tourism, and Economic Development Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 11 to hear a bill by Senator Ed Hooper to extend the life of the state's tourism marketing agency. Visit Florida will expire on July 1st if the legislature doesn't pass the bill. Attorney General Ashley Moody and Department of Juvenile Justice Secretary Simone Marstiller will take part in a news conference at 1145 hosted by the Pace Center for Girls. That'll be on the 22nd floor of the Capitol. The Senate Rules Committee takes up a proposal by Senator Jeff Brandis to abolish the Constitution Revision Commission. That meeting starts at 1.30. Senator Annette Tadeo and Representative Nicholas Duran will be joined by advocacy groups at a 2.30 news conference where they will call for Florida to expand Medicaid eligibility. The House will hold a floor session at 3.30 and pass a bill that would prevent insurance companies from using customers' genetic information to make policy decisions about life insurance, long-term care insurance, and disability insurance. The Senate holds a floor session at 4 and plans to vote on Senator Rob Bradley's bill to block local governments from regulating over-the-counter drugs and cosmetics, like sunscreen. And Catholic bishops and state leaders will take part in the annual Red Mass. That begins at 6 o'clock tonight at the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More in Tallahassee. Finally, it's time once again for the new adventures of Florida Man, the superhero of the Sunshine State. A Florida man is accused of going on a mini-crime spree to pay the fee for his court-ordered ankle monitor. Deputies in Putnam County say 32-year-old John Wayne Parker Jr. stole about $3,000 worth of cigarettes from a grocery store, plus drills, batteries, and other items from a nearby business. Investigators say the ankle monitor showed Parker was at the market when it was burglarized, and they made that discovery at about the same time he was actually in the sheriff's office paying his overdue ankle monitor fee. He's charged with burglary, grand theft, and petty theft. Finally, deputies in Seminole County say a Florida woman and her 15-year-old son are both facing charges after he robbed a convenience store at gunpoint while she acted as a lookout and getaway driver in her minivan. Amanda Metters charged with robbery with a firearm and neglect of a child for the ripoff of a Circle K on Halloween night. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. This is Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.